0: There we go. I hit start recording.
1: That's what you have to do
0: to start the recording. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Can't record unless you hit that button. Um. How how's my mic sound? Actually, how's it sounds sound? really good. Yeah. Yeah. You wouldn't just say that, would you?
1: No. Okay. I mean, I had to think about it for a second, but no, I mm- wouldn't.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That pause didn't fill me with confidence.
1: <laughs> you sound awesome, Amos. oh Aw,
0: thank you. Hey, uh, welcome to uh, Tell Me Why I'm Wrong, the internet's favorite podcast about why Amos and Sophie are wrong. I'm Amos, one of your co-hosts.
1: I'm Sophie, I'm the other one.
0: And uh, we're going to be wrong about uh, a few different things today, but first let's talk about what we were wrong about. In our last episode, uh, yeah. take it away, Sophie, since you were so wrong.
1: I was a little bit wrong, and I'm going to tell you the right info now. So here it is. The position of consultant in poetry to the Library of Congress was initiated in 1937 and continued until 1985, after which it was renamed the Poet Laureate Consultant to the Library of Congress, under which title it continues to this day. And the essay I mentioned, The Obscurity of the Poet, was, I believe, uh, published uh, in 1953 by Randall Jarrell.
0: Thank you. And and I realized I was wrong about something. Uh, I think I said that I thought Greek was the oldest living language. It turns out it's the uh, oldest attested living language. I'm uh, so
1: curious what attested means, but I guess like we're not going to get into r- that right now.
0: Written though. material.
1: Oh, that's what attested means? It's not like contested, like people are having to fight about whether Greek is the oldest or not?
0: No, it's like it's the earliest written language that's still alive today.
1: That's fascinating. Yeah.
0: Uh, okay, so let's move on to uh, season one, episode three, our Great War double feature. Um, and I guess you're going to start our first segment, Sophie. I can
1: start you off. The question that I'm going to ask in this little provocation is, why is Wonder Woman in World War I? The other month, I saw a trailer for the new Wonder Woman movie, and I found myself struck by how shocked and appalled I was, and just how galling it was to see the superheroine in her shiny gold bracelets come climbing out of a trench. Now, some of this is just my usual visceral reaction to seeing the Great War commodified as entertainment. Don't get me started on those first-person shooter games set in World War One. But there was more to it than that, and my rea- reaction included genuine puzzlement, not least because the trailer makes clear that Wonder Woman herself is on the side of the French and Americans doing battle with evil Germans. To be sure, Germany was guilty of some grievous behavior during the Great War. The violation of Belgian neutrality comes to mind, as does the invention and initiation of gas warfare. But identifying Germany as your drama's villain is nowhere near so simple to do in a movie about the First World War um, as in one about the Second, so it's a curious move. But more pressingly, I don't understand what Wonder Woman is doing in World War I in the first place. I've watched a bunch of Mighty Mouse and I read all of Michael Shabin's Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay twice. And by the way, that's a historical novel I think is really quite excellent. So I know enough to know that superheroes emerged out of the interwar period and the Second World War and American ideas and aspirations about their place in that conflict. But then again, plenty of superheroes, including Batman and Spider-Man and Captain America, have all had their plots and stories set in contemporary America lately. So I suppose Wonder Woman may just have gotten plunked down in 1916 because the Great War Centennial has made it a hot commodity, and two hot commodities are better than one. Superheroes also currently enjoying something of a renaissance. But why? Because it's nice to sell movie tickets to men under 50? Is it because the comic book fanboys of yesterday have become the cultural producers of today and they want their own crack at the genre? Because this way you can claim to be showcasing strong female characters while continuing to have a reason to pack them into skin-tight outfits that would be unlikely on anyone except a gymnast or a circus performer? No offense to gymnasts or performers, by the way. Or can it be traced back to the fact that comic book publishers have sold off chunks of their franchise to movie studios, and it's nothing more complicated than baldly recycling properties to make a profit? I want to believe that there's some interesting cultural insight to be had here, and I'm not finding it. So tell me why superheroes are interesting and popular and beloved and fun. Tell me why Wonder Woman is fighting World War I and why I should care. In other words,
0: tell me why I'm wrong. Okay, um... So uh, I was able to answer this question um, with a little help from Google. Like seriously, <laughs> if you if just typed in, why is Wonder Woman in World War I into Google, you would have found the answer, Sophie. So, uh, <laughs> so, so <laughs> I did your What if I typed,
1: wo- <laughs> why the hell is Wonder Woman in World War I and made like a mad face? Would that give giving bet,
0: me? I bet it still would have come up. So <laughs> I, I will read to you from director Patty Jenkins. Oh, my, OK. My approach was to focus on telling the story of mechanized war and how that would look to a god visiting our world for the first time.
1: It sounds very highfalutin to me. I
0: wanted the audience to understand the horrors that a war on this scale makes possible and how shocking that would be to someone who comes with a strong sense of honor and justice. She doesn't realize yet just how senselessly dark the world can be.
1: Okay, but why World War One? I? I mean, I understand the mechanized war thing kind of goes with World War One, but it's right, not. Right, me- so the
0: mechanized thing goes with World War One, and I, you know, later in the article, she says World War II is kind of played out. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay. So the real reason is this is like getting at it, right? The real reason is that we've already done World War Two so done a much. Lot of World War and II. for a long time we didn't care about World War One because it seemed sort of random and pointless and we didn't really know what the point of it was, why exactly, we, and, right, and America right. was like the US was barely involved, so who cares? But now yep. it's been a hundred years and it's sexy again, and so we'll put Wonder Woman in.
0: So it. I don't know about what? the hundred years in sex what was that you?
1: Yeah, that was that a squeak? squeak that was a squeak oh. of like uh, frustration. It was like a oh, okay. it was a It was an audible wince.
0: I think. I think you know. If you want to talk about the themes of mechanized war and how that would look to you know a Greek goddess who comes from this uh, this land that's sort of separate from the rest of the world, then putting it in the first large scale mechanized war, you know, that makes a. That makes a certain amount of sense.
1: I mean, some uh, people would argue about whether or not it really was the first scale,
0: sure, first large right. scale. Maybe the Franco-Prussian uh, War. You'd want to put that one first. Crimea.
1: Maybe. I don't know. Crimea, yeah. I, I'm not gonna. I'm not a person who's gonna like. I'm sure. not gonna. But you on could make that, that
0: argument. That's like. Ha- it's, how do
1: you feel about the fact that she's like this fake Greek goddess thing, though? Speaking, that's... I mean, just to tie back <laughs> to like our original, like, 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 I kept accusing myself of having this cartoon version of ancient Greece, but like this really is right. I mean, so they're like Amazons and.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so for people who don't know, the the whole deal with Wonder Woman is that she, like, there's this offshoot of ancient Greek Amazonian civilization that has this, like, hidden island called Themyscria, I think, where they, like, hang out, and they don't have any men, and they reproduce by cloning, and... Well, and they hide themselves from the rest of the world. And that's right. Just kind and of it's their weird thing.
1: because, like, the whole thing about the Amazons, as I recall, is that they were warriors, right? I mean, so. Also, so, not
0: Greek. Like, in Greek right, mythology. Right, Am- right. The Amazonians were, like, very specifically. Right. Uh, from
1: somewhere else. Foreigners.
0: Yeah. yeah. A- Asian, I think. I don't know.
1: But don't worry uh, because. We salted all with a invisible helicopter or plane or something.
0: Well, that's from the TV show. I that's mean,
1: I'll be honest. I had like a innovation. cassette tape that you could play of like Wonder Woman adventures when I was little, and I kind of liked it. But
0: I made a really good joke on Twitter that no one noticed <laughs> when that when this uh, <laughs> when the trailer first came Tell out. Tell us how you I,
1: really feel. Go ahead. I, I,
0: I, <laughs> I, so the trailer for this movie came out, and I I think I just, I linked to it and said I was like, oh, so excited that they included her invisible jet in the movie.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no that is really funny. I take it back Isn't I made it a snide comment about yeah. how your joke wasn't going to be funny. You know, but it was like funny. actually that's so funny.
0: It's really funny. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I'm glad we're cracking ourselves up whether or not our listeners care. So, you know, I Okay, think so I so th- t- so talk to me. T- explain to me. I mean, so so oh, sorry, we understand World War 1 is the default because World War II is played out.
0: So, and I think I think that. I mean, I think there's just also just like a a, a thematic thing here like you go to World War 2 when you want a movie about people like fighting for a great cause or maybe sacrificing themselves for for a cause or something like that but if you want to do a movie about the pointlessness of war then you go to World, World war, war I. World
1: War 1 is a pretty good or, yeah like, i mean that's yeah
0: or if you want to do about like the costs of war you then you go to World War 1 so we'll see what the movie actually does with that theme but, it, but it, you know it could be thematically appropriate
1: i mean there's lots of movies about how pointless World War 1 was i just now i don't, how I many of I... them
0: have wonder woman
1: I think zero. Zero. I mean, right. one. So
0: we're, ba- we're about to have our first.
1: Right. So again, like now I'm back to, I understand why Wonder Woman is wor- is in World War One, I, I suppose. But I don't, I, I understand why World War One is in Wonder Woman, but I don't uh, okay, understand why Wonder go. Woman is in World War One. You know what I mean? Or something. Like I don't. Know, maybe it's backward. Like, I get why if you're making a movie about Wonder Woman and the horrors of war, you'd pick World War One. I. I don't okay. understand why.
0: You'd make a movie about Wonder Woman and the horrors of war?
1: <laughs> yeah
0: yeah yeah is that no. what she's
1: always been about is that her thing
0: no I, not really i mean there's there's a book about the creation of wonder woman that yeah, I, it's I have by not Jill read Lepore. okay i'm not have you yeah, read it? I, I haven't
1: i haven't and i mean i have i feel like i'm gonna like cr- commit career suicide right here right now but like i have some mixed Jill Lepore is an exceptionally wonderful historian of early america that's all i'm gonna say
0: cool um World, but, but
1: Wonder m- Woman was not invented in. Early no,
0: market. she was she was <laughs> invented. I don't know. I think in the 40s and.
1: Yeah, when all the rest of them were
0: the guy. Yeah, just like you know, Michael Shevin not, says. Not all the rest of them, like gold, golden age. Okay. So, so, so a little comics history: golden age yeah, was like a, from the invention of Superman through probably late 40s, and mm-hmm. that saw the creation of uh, your your um, big uh, DC heroes like. Wonder Woman, Batman, Superman, Green Lantern, The Flash. And on the Marvel side, it saw the creation of Captain America, uh, Namor the Submariner, and the well, original Human Torch. The Submariner. Oh, he's the the Prince of Atlantis. Um okay. not Aquaman, the other one. Um and then comics <laughs> not sort of died. One.
1: Okay, sure. All right.
0: Comics sort of died out in the fifties, um, for a couple of reasons, not the least of them was um like a real uh, censorship campaign, uh, because it's got to be how... the
1: late '50s, right? Though, because my mom was like really into comics,
0: comic so books. Earlier in the '50s, there was they they there was like a comics code, but superhero stuff basically died out, and you had a bunch of <gasps> like romance and um maybe westerns. Definitely a lot of romance books. Before that, there was a lot of like a lot of horror books. Maybe in the early '50s, before the um censorship campaign. But there was this big uh, moral panic about how comic books were corrupting the youth.
1: Is it because their clothes were too tight and they always wear their underpants on top?
0: I think it was because they were gay.
1: <laughs> what? Oh, okay, sure, sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. First um, first, I, first, I was like, what? And then I was like, oh yeah, okay, right, obviously. Right,
0: yeah, They're like, oh no, that actually makes a lot of sense. <laughs> um, right. Which incidentally is why there's Alfred, um, Batman's butler, so that um, it's not just Batman and Robin living together. Like if you have three guys, then it's cool. <laughs> but if you just have two, then it's a little gay. Have
1: you read The Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay?
0: No, I, I looked at it, but I, I didn't like the art. So if it's I'm gonna really read a comic book, then I wanna I want good good pictures.
1: It doesn't have any pictures. I, yep, yep. It's a novel. Right.
0: Yeah. But it's
1: really so good. It's like a
0: like a comic book they haven't finished.
1: It's about all of these things. And actually there are comic books in them, like tons. They're just described really beautifully yeah. instead of drawn. I think you would like it. So I then, the like it a lot. then
0: the Silver Age of ca- comics started in well, let's say 1961 with the creation of the Fantastic Four by Marvel, and that's where you get your uh, your Avengers, your X Men, your Spider Mans. Um, Wait, Spider
1: Man was until then.
0: Spider Man came out in 62, I think.
1: I so I didn't know any of this.
0: Yeah, so there's sort of two two eras where like a lot of classic characters were created the the 30s and 40s, the Golden Age, and then the Early to mid '60s is the kind of silver age stuff. Well, and the now silver we're like age kind sort of extends into the this early '70s.
1: New shiny metal age, right? Yeah. I mean, so after things the, things the silver age, there, there is a
0: bronze age. Are you kidding? The, no. People talk about it, it sort of like '70s, '80s, and then okay. the '90s is the hollow foil age. Um,
1: I don't even know what that is.
0: It's it's a little bit of a joke, which I won't even bother to explain. Nerds, nineties nerds, won't know what I'm talking about, though. Okay. Um, anyway, so all this is to say that comics have a long and glorious history. And why am I talking about this? I forget.
1: Because I want to know why they're fun and why people love them and why are they so hot right now.
0: So I think there's uh, there's a lot to love about them. You know, we we talked a little bit about. Did we talk about? Did we talk about Wagner? Did we mention him and the idea we of like did. combining different yeah. uh, media together? So yeah. you look at comics as a combination of written words and pictures in a, um, you know, in a sequence. So you're you're combining different uh, types of art, like mm-hmm. language and pictures, and that can be kind of powerful.
1: That's totally powerful. I can think of lots of things that do that that are really cool, and some of them are comics and some of them are not. But okay, sure. Yeah.
0: And I won't argue that like all comics are great because uh, they're not. But, but why are um,
1: superheroes great?
0: Why are superheroes great? Uh, um, I don't know. I mean, they 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 give you a a uh, venue for telling particular kinds of stories. I mean, superhero stories aren't great for every kind of story,
1: right. but
0: but you can tell stories about things like what it means to be good. Mm-hmm. Um like, you know, all sorts of moral and ethical questions really easily. Um, st- you can tell, you know, a lot of comics, you know, especially, let's say a lot, especially about the 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 Marvel characters, they're about people who are flawed, mm-hmm. but don't let that stop them from doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. So there's a, there's a, yeah, I would say there's a there's a lot of sort of moral and ethical stuff that that they're pretty good at at getting at, and there's also just the sort of power power fantasy side of things. Sure. That, uh, that's um definitely a a a big deal. You know, people like to talk about, especially with the the DC characters like Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, how they're sort of the equivalent of of myths today, myth, mythical sort of heroes. They're not so much. Uh, those sorts of characters aren't so much real people. They're they're archetypes. Really Yeah, and really sort of, like, uh, gods. Um, Like, they don't really have flaws, uh, and that's sort of part of what they're about, and that, you know, people talk about, we have, like, some some need for stories like that. I'm not sure I agree, because I've never been a big fan of of the DC characters. Wait, which ones are the DC ones? Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman.
1: Okay. So, all right, so this is getting really interesting. Now, not recently, but the last time we talked about this, you had a really good explanation for why... For a kind of commercial reason that, uh, or economic reason, sure, why like these why movies, the movies are, are like big, there's like a yeah. billion movie, like there's a movie like a superhero movie every hot second. So I don't and
0: remember what I said before, but I the, do. I mean, okay. you,
1: you said that so DC and Marvel, and I guess some other kind of publishers had started selling off chunks of their properties and so we're like here like for this much money you can have the rights to this character or these mm-hmm. this little stable of characters and so um that's a really good way to if you can get people to come come see the movies anyway and that's another question is like why do right. people continue to see these movies but um like yeah th- so Mar- then you can marvel make had money. to do that
0: they, they almost went bankrupt following the hollow foil age and the, <laughs> the, the excesses of that time.
1: Why uh, was it? So I want to know. What, okay, what? so,
0: so they, there was this huge speculative boom in the 90s where um, comics publishers would start new titles and print a gazillion copies of the number one issue mm. and sell them all because everyone knew that first issues of comics would get oh, really right. valuable. Sure. So then they started doing like, Special edition 50th issues of runs where they would put like holograms on the cover and foil stamped, embossed, laser cut. Um, so it's
1: all for kind of like a collector's exactly,
0: and of mm-hmm. course, everyone bought them, assuming that they would appreciate in value. But and, they and didn't. Now, no, no, none of them of did, they because didn't. they printed millions and millions of copies, and right, and like they only, and,
1: right, and they only and no made one, like one issue of like buttock man or something, and then some of
0: them, yeah, that was really true for for Image. They would just launch these new titles, and and like Image, interesting interesting company. They would fill the comics with splash pages, so that's where like. Two whole pages are one image. Sure. Yeah. Uh, like artist, the artists and writers would do that. They were usually the same person at image. The, they would mm. have one person writing and doing the art, um, specifically so they could sell the original art for thousands of dollars. Mm. They would, you know, they were writing their own books, so they would get paid for writing the book, and then they could also sell the the original art uh, and make a killing. So anyway, so so Marvel got caught up in all this nonsense, ended up I going. Uh, I think they did go bankrupt actually. So they, they ended up selling film rights to some of their characters like X-Men and Spider-Man. Later, they sold the whole company uh, to Disney. So Disney now owns Marvel, and they have oh. since, I think, 2009. Uh, so Disney owns them outright. This is making uh, more sense now. Warner Brothers bought DC a long time ago. I'm not sure when, but I would say 70s or 80s. So so uh, Warner Brothers has owned DC outright for for ages. So every, every Batman movie is a Warner brothers movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think when you say like, okay, why are they, why are these movies popular now? What? Why are they such a big deal? I can think of a couple answers. One, uh, September 11th. Okay. Uh, that happened sort of just before the first Spider-Man movie came out. And people point to that as like uh, something that happened that caused people to need, uh, stories about heroism and sacrifice and... that are also
1: totally escapist
0: exactly yeah exactly, um with you know patriotic undertones, <laughs> sure uh Another, I would say, is just technological. Like, it didn't used to be feasible to make these movies.
1: Right, because you could draw, like, Spider-Man climbing up a wall and then, uh-huh. like, punching his fist through a thing, and it would be, like, bright colors and amazing yep. effects, but it was all happening in your imagination, right. sort of the interaction between your imagination and the page, and now you could be like, no, we'll really, like, send whatever that guy's name is. What is his name? That Scottish who? guy
0: who plays Spider-Man. Scottish guy who plays whatever, maybe he's
1: not Scottish. I really am completely out of touch, as you know. But so whatever, <laughs> Emma Wait, Stone's t- boyfriend. I don't know. Oh,
0: Andrew Garfield. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> is he Scottish?
1: Okay. He could. No, he could I'm well out. be. He could well <laughs> no! be. He could th- well th- be. I thought I'm... maybe he's, he's definitely from the UK. Okay. And uh, and then we can like do this actual thing like visually.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. 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 Right. And you can, you can do them, and you can do them. You know. Do you think for a that also? Now.
1: Do you think that also like has a, is a factor in the? the popularity of like reboots of all kinds like the star trek movies the star wars movie like all these kinds of things that are like well wait this time we can really do a thing where you always no, imagine that I, that I, plane would do that thing and now it can
0: i i don't think so for those just because like you if they'd wanted they could have kept making star wars movies that looked like return of the jedi all through the 80s sure uh and i don't think i don't think the thing that people would have been complaining about if they had done that. The thing people were complaining about wouldn't have been the special effects.
1: Would it have been like the clunky dialogue and the yeah, lack right. of sense?
0: Exactly. <laughs> Careful though. Careful. I'm gonna let that I'm gonna let that one slide.
1: <laughs> I'm not a hater. I just okay. I, I'll I'll say just as a sidebar that like I recently re watched um with some other folks. So I to be fair, I was sort of in and out of the room, but um uh I think a new hope. And um it was sort of after the um, Force Awakens had come out, so like we okay. saw, you saw like the the new reboot one, and then all we watched the all shiny this, and polished. All shiny and polished. But both of them, so so so, people were saying like, oh wow, you know, in the Force Awakens, sometimes you just have no idea what's going on; and it's very unclear. Yeah. And and I said, well. Okay, but for those of us who are not steeped in the Star Wars universe and all the context and all the backstory that you would glean if you really cared about this stuff, that's exactly how A New Hope always feels too. I'm always like, "Who's you're that kidding. guy? What's that thing? Why is it a thing? Where are they?" It's what? it's it's, it's, it's identical. Huh. It's like an identical experience. Both are really fun. Both uh, are enjoyable. Both like I'm very sympathetic to. It, like it's an appealing. Fr- like I'm not like oh Star Wars is stupid. Like I I like it, but I just have no idea what's going so on. Like I need 40% I need to stop. The time. I
0: need to stop you right there and tell you that you're wrong. <laughs> um, you're you're
1: <laughs> about what about the fact about, that I don't know what's going on? Yeah, I, I yeah. promise no, you, you, defi- I don't. you
0: definitely you definitely do. No, no I don't. Wow, no, I that's... never even know
1: if they're inside or outside. I'm like, they landed on a thing. Is it a planet? Are they like, in the hold of a ship? I have no in idea. Star Wars. Yeah. that's
0: that's really interesting because yeah. Star and Wars. I like to...
1: them. I'm not angry about not knowing. I just don't know.
0: To me, Star Wars. I mean, it, it it sort of it drops you in the deep end a little bit, but that's sort of part of the. Part of the the wonder is that you like it drops you into this world and you can tell that there's more going on and there's like little little bits, you, you know, feels like there's a world going on outside the frame. Mm-hmm. Um, but it tells you absolutely everything you need to know to make sense of the story and everything that you don't understand is just like, a, oh, I wonder what's going on with that. That's that's always been my experience that's with it. That's so and interesting. Whereas The Force Awakens is just a, an incoherent mush of garbage and gibberish. No, that, I really it. That looks really it. pretty. Very it look, pretty. It's fabulous. Very pretty and there are some mush really... of garbage and gibberish.
1: Uh, okay. Well, I find them identical in the sense of sort of like not knowing what's going on but enjoying myself. Fascinating. Um, and I also think The Force Awakens is great and has some really important things to say and do, some interventions it, to it, make into that world that I think not. are really... Yeah. Oh, oh,
0: oh, interventions. Oh, yeah, sure. I'll give it that. Like, Like in terms of representation.
1: Well, yeah, and also they blew up that whole Death Star, and there were people on it. And I always thought that. I was like, okay, heroes, but, like, those are people. I know that they're wearing, like, weird suits where they look like a Honda or something. But that was,
0: I mean, Kevin Smith covered that in in Clerks in, like, 1990 (laughs) or whatever. Like, that discussion has been had. Well. Okay. I'm not sure that,
1: like, there's a a Clerks... Force Awakens crossover that like really is meaningful, <laughs> but I, whatever. Anyway, back to the superhero. So you don't think that these two things have anything to do with each other? I,
0: I don't think so. I I do think that there's there's something going on with movies now that is is sort of the third thing I was going to get to with with superhero movies and why they're so big right now is that they're they're for uh for reasons about how the the movie market is working now. There's a real pressure for you know it's it's turned into a system where where mid-budget movies don't do very well uh mm-hmm. small movies can do well mm-hmm. and really big movies can do well but but there's not a lot of space for mid-budget movies mm-hmm. uh and if you're making big movies you really want to be sure that they're going to be successful and one way to do that is to do um to have a franchise right uh, and i think that's why um why Disney paid billions of dollars for Lucasfilm to get the rights to Star Wars? And so the they make it's like making of a television garbage, series. Like Force Awakens, <laughs> right? So
1: so mean. I really, I protest that. I object. Mm, You're wrong. Noted. But but right. So, it's like so it's like making TV shows. It's like you can be like to be continue at the end and like oh just just watch the next
0: episode. Right. And in comic comic book stories are tailor-made for this because that's been the model of, exactly, and that's the model that comics have been working on for 60 years, 70 years. That makes sense.
1: Can I ask another question? Yeah. So, okay, and this is now, I'm not expecting you to know the answer to this, but Uh, does this incoherence and big budget sort of, like, strategy, does this have anything also to do with the fact that, like, movies are now like 85 percent completely impossible to follow fight scenes
0: yeah right so so <laughs> and you're um, like
1: i don't even know who's punching who where they are how, why they're doing it. it has nothing to do with the plot it hasn't advanced anything
0: how how hard is it to i mean part of that is just bad movie making yeah like you can have you can have action scenes that tell a story sure and if you you know i, I recommend anyone who hasn't seen it should go watch mad max fury road right now like, I like, haven't but I like, was
1: thinking about that scene that amazing beautiful scene in Kill Bill which is also like which is completely like isn't with, like, it just the, like
0: the snowfall it's sword like yoinked or? from
1: like a totally from like another movie it's a, like, like right the whole,
0: I mean the whole movie is right
1: but anyway I'm but, just saying sure. I agree
0: yeah 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 I, uh, but but if you're not you know that's a particular type of storytelling that takes talent and not everyone has it <laughs> and, uh but but I mean the the short answer I think my understanding anyway for for why that is the way it is 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 that um Basically it's really easy to translate action scenes that don't have any dialogue to play in other countries.
1: Ah.
0: So like more, it. more okay, sure. Yeah. It it used to be that the international market was a you know, quote unquote quote international market, meaning the rest of the world was a, a pretty small piece of the pie for right. US film studios. And, and now that's it's a bigger and bigger anymore. piece. It's sure. Yeah. It's it's a really big piece now. And especially countries like, like China which were right. never used to be any sort of a big deal and, and now they are and you know i think um translating subtle dialogue is hard um and translating things blowing up is very easy
1: <laughs> you don't have to translate exactly,
0: that exactly exactly but it's
1: so, but that makes movies so bad and boring and unappealing and like i don't want i haven't been to see a movie in so long because i don't care about any movies that there are Again, also, Fu- Fury, Fury Road, Road is
0: is incredible and has very little dialogue and you know you Interesting. Could, it, could, it could play as a silent movie just fine um, but George Miller is a genius and most people making movies aren't right so one thing I was hoping that we were gonna get to and we're out of time so we're, we're gonna move on but I'm just gonna leave this as a question mm. um, and may- maybe I answered it when I was talking before but we we're talking about war movies. And, you know, why a war movie is set in one war versus another. And it just got me thinking about why why is it that there are 80 gazillion World War II movies, quite a lot of Vietnam movies, very few World War One movies, and, like, almost no Korean War movies. You know what These I mean? These are American
1: like, movies you're talking mm-hmm, about.
0: Because yeah. there,
1: there are some other... I mean, there are movies about some other of these wars of from other course, places,
0: of course. But he, you know, like, yeah, like let's let's say, I let's mean, *All Quiet on the Western w-
1: Front* was a was like a blockbuster. So there's, there's one, yeah.
0: But again, when you look at like just like the sheer volume of World War II movies, it's not, yeah. Uh, anyway, well, and, so and
1: and World War II movies were being made while World War II was being fought, right? Like, there's yeah, so many right. like ho- like classic Hollywood era, you know, like films where that are about like. At least at some level, someone's going off to war, someone's a pilot, someone's at this. You know what I mean? Like it was yep. sort of happening while it was happening.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. And then
1: there's all the sort of nostalgic stuff as well.
0: Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and even I would, I would say Star Wars Rogue One is a World War II movie.
1: I have not seen it. I it's don't even know anything about it, except well, they all die. No, Do they no, all die? Now you know that it's Spoilers. a World War II movie. Well, all of Star Wars is a really terrible, terrible, horrible, awful, objectionable, uh, like interwar and World War II analogy. No, I disagree. Yeah, it's terrible. No. It's so stupid.
0: It may, it may. Be, I mean, I'm not going to argue that it's terrible, but it's not. It's not all interwar, World War II, uh, like like uh, Return of the Jedi, the the Endor battle. It was very. Um, George Lucas was really consciously, he consciously modeled the Ewoks on the Viet Cong. That, okay. That's a Vietnam <laughs> battle.
1: Well, that is news to me and also and George, like kind George of Luke? adorable and racist at the same it's, time. Oh, I don't George
0: really. Lucas is super racist uh, and um, really, really racist. He said after, after he sold LucasArts to, um, to uh, uh, Disney, he was talking about how it felt like uh, white slavery.
1: What? <laughs>
0: yeah. Oh, it's so bad it's so bad like that's dude, not even that doesn't got, even mean
1: what he thinks it, you
0: got billions of dollars you got paid billions of dollars and you're complaining about that's not, not only racist that's it's also how, like that's not how slavery works
1: it's also like a terribly sexist thing to say whatever uh-huh. anyway yeah, yeah, yeah. so but, but so
0: so and and in just interesting fact george lucas he was all he was uh he was going to direct um apocalypse now before coppola took it over Oh, uh, well, I'm glad that happened the way it did. Yeah, no, likewise, likewise. But just, just to point, just to, that was just to say that um, that there's certainly, like, World War II aesthetics in Star Wars. It's all about the Republic
1: and how, like, the...
0: It's. I think it's got more to do with Vietnam.
1: The Palpatine or whatever. That's, like, a specifically German reference. Whatever, anyway. No, that's a, yeah. it's a Roman,
0: Roman... Palpatine? Like, the Palpatine Hill. Oh, that's, no,
1: Palantine. Pa- what? Oh, oh you right, what right, I guess I that haven't really... But that's Roman, really that's not... No, there's a, there's a, pal-
0: whatever. The Palatine it- Hill was in, is in Rome <laughs> and that's where um, people, they would get executed by getting tossed off it.
1: Oh, okay. Well, this is all news to me.
0: Anyway, we should, we should move on.
1: Yeah. But so, um, this was a really good discussion and I learned a lot. I still oh, am not good. totally convinced, but, uh, I guess like I would have to watch more superheroes maybe movies we'll, maybe and we'll like Maybe we'll watch them? Wonder Woman
0: when it comes out and then uh, do a follow Oh, follow-up. we'll do
1: a follow-up. Yeah. I mean, if it's going to be a pacifist sort of thing, I might like it.
0: I doubt it is. My, my guess is that she's going to kill a lot of people with a sword.
1: <laughs> but she's going to feel sorry about having done it.
0: Maybe. Or she would be horrified by the people who get killed by machine guns as she kills them with her sword.
1: Yeah. Because um, it's noble and just the way she does it when she exactly. slices their heads right off.
0: Yep. Uh, hey, let's move on now.
1: Yeah, excellent. I'm ready.
0: Okay, so segment two is, is my question of uh, why isn't Austria part of Germany? So uh, just a little background on this question, because it might seem like a little bit of a weird one, um, but it was on my mind a while ago. So Germany is like one country now, but it didn't used to be. Uh, you, you, probably, you may remember, uh, you, you millennials and older, that it used to be two countries, East Germany and West Germany. But for the really old people, they remember back to the 19th <laughs> century when it was like a whole bunch of qu- countries. Those is are that really right?
1: old people. Yeah,
0: for the oldies out there. <laughs> for for gramps and grandma uh you so it wasn't unified into like one germany until like is that like middle of the 19th century is that right historian
1: 1871
0: boom there we go um so before that austria was like one region with a bunch of people speaking german but there were a whole bunch of other re- regions with people speaking german and some of them ended up as germany but austria didn't and that always just seemed kind of weird to me um so I wanted to figure out what that was about. So so I went and did some research on this. Um, and uh, Wikipedia defines Austria <laughs> as a country comprising the mainland of the Australian continent, the island of Tasmania, <laughs> and numerous smaller islands. It is the world's sixth largest country by total area. The neighboring countries are Papua New Guinea, Indonesia, and East Timor to the north. The capital is Canberra, the largest So that was a little confusing, but I (laughs) I kept going and I found some other things about about Austria that I I think maybe help explain this. And and I want to hear what you think about all this. So um, a family called the Habsburgs ruled Austria for a million years and wanted to keep ruling it. So maybe when Germany, the rest of Germany unified, it was really sort of like a Prussian, like it was really more like Germany unifying was really more like Prussia conquering the rest of Germany, maybe. So then, and maybe the, and the Habsburgs like didn't want to go along with that plan. Um, but then, maybe after World War I, Austria tried to join Germany, so the austro-Hungarian Empire broke up, and Austria was like, "Oh well we're, we'll just join Germany, but the Allies said, "No, you can't do that." Um, so it seems like like a uh, an attempt on the part of the Allies to limit German power by keeping German speaking people divided, um which again seems seemed kind of analogous to, to after World War Two when Germany was divided between East and West. Um but after World War One, Austria they actually wanted to call the country German Austria, um, instead of just Austria, presumably to differentiate it from all the other Austrias, the the non German ones. But the uh the Allies nixed that and wouldn't let them call it the country German Austria. Um and then of course Austria was part of Germany between uh, the Anschluss in the end of World War II, but again, after losing the war, the Allies split Austria off from the rest of Germany. Um, so that got me thinking. Uh, that seems to sort of explain things, but uh, it also just got me thinking about about 20th and 21st century German history and, and different efforts to manage Germany and to limit German power by keeping... Uh, Germany or Germans divided, and I, you know, I read recently that Margaret Thatcher was interested in forming some sort of agreement with the Soviets to counterbalance Germany, uh, and that she was super nervous about Germany reunifying after the Berlin Wall came down. That she was she was really terrified about that Germany would just end up dominating uh, Europe, uh, and so maybe maybe we can look at the EU now as a as a way of um, managing Germany by linking its fate. With the rest of Europe's um, through uh, the euro and common markets and whatnot. Uh, so anyway, uh, t- tell me tell me if I'm wrong here, and tell me why I'm wrong.
1: Well, so I think that you've got some broad contours that are not wrong at all. Okay, great. Um, But I would say that if your question is why is Austria not part of Germany. Um, I would say that there are like six, <laughs> six different answers <laughs> that yeah. I could give you. Right? There's the 1945 answer, which is a little bit different. I would I would say it's a little bit different than the one that you've uh, that you've described, but but pretty close. There's the 1918 answer, the 1871 answer, the 1867 answer, and the Ooh. 1804 answer. That's eat. the very minimum. Um, but I think that the other question that we really want to ask that seems to be... Be and and I can answer, you know, we could we could talk about those too. Um, and I can clarify some of the things that you brought up, not about Tasmania, which that was hilarious. Is it mm, really that's really what it says on Wikipedia for real?
0: No, that, no I mean, okay. that, that's, that's honestly, that's just for people who didn't catch that. That's actually the article for Australia, okay? Yeah, yeah. um,
1: uh, but but the, I think the bigger question has to do with the idea that a lot of us have that the sort of natural or default or neutral, um, Shape. Of a country of countries is the um, is the nation state and it's yeah. a kind of homogeneous nation state. And I always say this, you know, to my students, there's this sort of idea that uh, France is France because it has sort of stable borders um, that are mostly contiguous with each other. And, and contain and this, French people. Okay, well, right. And this gets a little kooky with with colonialism, but 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 this is an this is an idea. So it, it's, it's idealized. It's not um, reality. But right. And inside of these borders live French people and they're French because they're ethnic, French, speak French, eat French food, um, laugh at French jokes, read French books, right? Um, but this is not something that just naturally occurs. And certainly in Europe, in places where it looks like that's naturally occurring, um, it's just because much earlier than we started, than than most of us started caring or started paying attention, um, there was some kind of violence uh, or or coercive measures to. To create these situations, right. wherein that that's the that's the, the case, um, and so, but in a lot of Europe um, through the 19th century, there are these kind of multi-ethnic empires that are quite large um, and very different, and they include lots of different kind of languages and different ethnicities and different cultures within them. And that's a complicated thing to think about. Um, and, but you start to get this idea of what eventually gets called because, you know, uh, Woodrow Wilson is a big proponent of this. And so a lot of Americans have heard of this, um, but it gets eventually called uh, the right to national self-determination. And right. that's the idea that if you are, have a common ethnicity and a common language and some kind of common culture, you have some sort of right to, um, uh, a contiguous chunk uh, with a, with a with a stable border that can be your country, mm-hmm. right? So, like, if all of the say, and you know, this is where it falls apart, right? The Kingdom of Serbia, uh, in part, emerges because so back to World War One, um, emerges because there are these these people who call who are identified as Serbians, and they, you know, the, um, c- can create a, 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 a sovereign state that has Serbians in it. That's called the Kingdom of Serbia, and it's a constitutional monarchy, and it has a king. Um, but there's all these other Serbians who don't live inside of those borders. They continue to live inside uh, the the Habsburg Empire. And, right, there is this family called the Habsburgs, and they're, they're really complicated and interesting, and uh, they also have these, like, really large chins that can be kind of, like, fun to think about because um, they, I don't know, family features or whatever. But um, so uh, one of the questions is, so why do we think that there ought to be a Germany that includes... All the German speakers. Well, we, we think that because um, because of this idea, and but but instead, and, and you know, I don't know enough about this because it, it starts to be sort of outside my wheelhouse. But when you think about Central Europe and you think about something like the Holy Roman Empire, that's a really different way of organizing people who may or may not speak the same language in a large chunk um, with like a very ca- like weird calibrated political structure that has uh, an emperor, but then it has also all these sort of princes and different kinds of things. Um, but, you know, it's the same with Italy, right? That, that there's this thing called the Italian Peninsula and lots of, Itali- lots, lots of people who are, you know, in some way, ethnically Italian live there and they speak Italian, but there's not a, a unification until late. C- so, comparatively late. And that's the other yeah. problem, right? Is that we have this model that's based on Britain and France, which is probably a silly thing to have because why would there be like, oh, you're early and you're late. And, and this is the problem that uh, that German historians have is this idea that Germany somehow came late to the party and that's why Germany is so screwed up.
0: Right. Is okay.
1: Yeah, because because lots of German history gets written after World War Two when quite uh quite reasonably, I mean, I think it's a, it's it's the only oh, humane question is sort of like, how did this happen? Like, right, but, right. but but that's not a great I mean, and so and, and some really, really spectacular, excellent histories are written from that perspective of how could this happen, which is which is the right moral and ethical question to ask. It it becomes a problematic historical question because you know, time only moves in one direction. And so Lots of people don't don't know that it's going in this direction. So when you start looking for the anyway, that's a, that's a that's a tangent. But you see what I'm saying that that, that could yeah. be.
0: So I just want to back up to to the examples of of France and Italy because I think they're illustrative. Yeah. You know, for instance, I think I think neither of them is as cohesive as we think. Oh, on the absolutely, outside. absolutely. You know, like like France, you talked about like they are all like speak French and eat French food and blah blah blah, uh, but you know that's more or less true now, but again, that's sort of an artifact of, of political power. Like, it's, yeah, I mean, you know mean, what I mean? Like, it can like, be
1: traced to Napoleon, right? I mean, he does this sort of right.
0: Yeah, uh, and, she, and before, you know, like there's there's regions of France where a lot of people don't speak French; they right. speak Provençal or Breton, right, uh, or or other or languages, or some kind
1: of weird Italian French. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, if you if
0: you've got a few In minutes, the check yeah. the. Um, Wikipedia article on Romance languages. There are languages you have never heard of in <laughs> there. Like I thought it was like oh, Italian, French, Portuguese, Spanish, Romanian. Uh, maybe that's about it. But my God, there's so many, yep. so many Romance languages, yep. and a lot of them are spoken in France, and they're not French. Yep. Uh, and they have they have really important differences with uh, from French. In um, Italy, I think is even even. Uh, more dramatic like you, you think of like sicily of course sicily's part of italy like you know most of the italians in the u.s are sicilian or, or people of italian descent right like so many of them are sicilian but like people in sicily like they don't speak italian they speak sicilian yeah. and it's you like you if you speak italian you will not understand what sicilians are saying there's a real there's a comprehension barrier right um and they just happen to be sort of rope together and you know there's actually a a Liga Norta which is one of the uh, a relatively new political party in Italy that is advocating for northern Italy to secede uh, and take all the money with them (laughs) uh, because they don't like the lazy southern Italians Um, yes
1: yes and that sort of split between the north and the south has been there for a very long time as well right so so it is an artifact of political power you're absolutely right but there's also an understanding that links political forms so states to ethnicities and cultures and that's sure. something that you know we, t- we take for granted um and so yeah in the 19th century the early 19th century and even in, in the 18th century there's this idea of of this and i, I love this you know you, you're not going to be surprised amos at all that i love this idea that there's sort of an imagined germany that there are these sort of mm-hmm. small states and they're uh you know especially intellectuals like to think that they're sort of it's a republic of letters and it's the idea that mm-hmm. that because the language is there is no political um, entity, but there is a language, there's the poetry, there's the philosophy, they're you know, they're sending mm-hmm. letters back and forth. There's a cultural
0: and, heritage or right. common culture, even if they're not there's not right. a political union.
1: And there's right, there's the idea of the big Germany which would include Austria and the littler, the smaller Germany that wouldn't. Um and you're right, in eighteen seventy one it starts in eighteen sixty four with the defeat of uh the Danish uh navy and and denmark in in one of these series of wars prussia uh, is that when they took holstein it's one of the times okay. yeah um uh not holstein schleswig okay i might be wrong about that again this is not my you know like i don't know this like the back of my hand but but um so there's a series of wars that prussia has uh starting with denmark and ending with uh the franco prussian war in 1871 where there is this kind of unification of germany by prussia Um, and then the abolition of prussia as a sort of as its own thing right um and prussia is really interesting in lots and lots of ways um uh but right so but but years before this right 70 years earlier in 1804 that's when the austrian empire it wasn't called the austro-hungarian empire yet um but the austrian empire sort of uh, it becomes a state or, or, or names itself as a state. And I don't know enough about how long those territories were held by what people and, and all that kind of thing. But it's a it's a um it is a, a multi ethnic empire for sure. And um so there's a sort of right, as you pointed out, there's there's a foreclosure on the idea that Austria would be that, that German speaking Austria would be part of a German speaking Germany. Um but, but there is a kind of desire for a really long time among some people in each place for this kind of unity. And uh, you got it right. In 18, uh, 1918, 1919, 1920, when uh, World War uh, One settlements are happening, there is a desire on the part at least of some of many Germans to, to have Austria with them um, because the Austro-Hungarian Empire, as it's then called, uh, after 1867, it's called that, uh, has, has, has been broken up, has fallen apart. And... The idea is, well, there are all these, because of the right to national self-determination, there's all these new small states, and they're determined by ethnicity and language. So we all speak German. Why can't we be together? And the answer is because you're in disgrace.
0: Right. And and because we don't want you to be bigger and more powerful, right? Uh, I mean... Y- right. Like yeah. the rest of it was like, actually, we don't want you two teaming up again.
1: I don't think that... I mean, again, I'm not a diplomatic historian, but uh, given the... The utter shambles that uh, that Germany w- is in at that point and given the uh, intensely uh, punitive reparations and other kind of punishments that are being levied on Germany, uh, particularly the war guilt, which basically says you mm-hmm. started World War One. I don't think that that's necessarily that we're afraid that Germany is going to sort of... There's lots of measures taken to make sure that Germany doesn't rise up and become power, become a power um, in Central Europe. Although there is this dream, right, before the Great War, where Germans are like, why can't we have our place in the sun? Everybody else has gotten right. to be a world power and, you know, get colonies and, and, and rule the world, so why can't we have our moment? Um, and that becomes really... Um, like a really bellicose way of f- operating, which is one of the reasons that the war guilt is assigned to Germany, even though in some ways it's nonsensical. There's also this sense in which the military high command is gunning for a war and has been for a really long time. Um, but I don't think it's necessarily... Uh, there's a lot of measures put in place to make sure that the quote-unquote concert of Europe, which is based on a u- weak Germany, continues. Um, is the
0: concert, of, the concert of Europe, is that like the the... What do they call that? The... Shoot, now I can't remember the term. Never mind, keep going. What is what, what's the concept? Like, of I Europe? think
1: it's I think it's Prince Metternich, actually, okay. who's who's a French diplomat. I might be way off here, but I think he's the one who sort of has this coins' phrase or has this idea anyway that um that that Europe only kind of functions if Germany is weak. And this, of course, hmm. pisses off Germans. Um so certainly there's a very strong drive to keep Germany from recovering but i don't think that the the thing with austria is 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 the way you're presenting it makes it sort of seem like well that's that seems like a legitimate fear like if they join up with austria there could be a problem but like given everything else that the treaty of versailles slaps on germany i don't think like that was like a that was a concern in that and moment
0: well i mean maybe not but they went to a lot of other trouble to stop uh, yes you know to keep germany weak and it seems yes. like yes you know that could have just been one like an easy one other way of keeping them them weaker and again i'm i'm basing that just on on how like again on on some of the stuff i've read about the way other leaders reacted to germany reuniting in the in the 80s or in 1989 well, right, re- remember that people lots like, of things people got really nervous
1: lots of things happened between 1920 and nineteen eight nineteen ninety 1990
0: when that's true uh, when these kinds of leave things it to so, the historian to point out that things happened <laughs> things happen between time. so
1: so i think people are nervous in different ways for different reasons um okay okay and, but but i think one of the things to remember is that it's not just the the uh the belligerents, right, the sort of opponents of Germany in in the in World War One, who are doing this. It's also a trick that gets played. Um, this doesn't have to necessarily do with Austria, but it does have to do with uh, the kind of um, stumbling blocks that are put in front of the new civilian government of the new Weimar Republic. Um, after the war ends, and that is internal. That comes from previous leaders, and particularly military leaders, who make it very hard for the republic, especially in the early years, to sort of have decent relationships with um, other countries. Hmm. And and to make and to make it really hard for for it to be a. a, a a state that's popular among its people, although that you know it is much more popular than many people think. But so um, right, and when the Anschluss happens, uh, that which is when uh, we often get the way we often tell it as Americans, I think, is that it's an invasion, right, or an annexation that Hitler comes into Austria and sort of o- occupies it. Um, and if you watch like The Sound of Music, it's it's this sort of like. F- Fear that everybody has but um and and certainly cer- certainly some people were afraid and were against it but it was also a very popular move among Austrians
0: yeah we, I mean Wikipedia tells me that prior to the Anschluss the Social Democrats had already been outlawed within Austria so right. it seems like there had already been like efforts underway to uh, delegitimate any opposition so well they, uh, they have
1: local they have a local fascist party and they have yeah. lo- a local fact so and remember that World War two you know um, Aspects of World War Two work the way they do. And again, this is not a story, I think, that gets told by Americans as, as much as it should because there are local fascist parties in, all, I, I mean, I, almost every country. All over, yeah. Yeah. And so it's much cheaper and more efficient to sort of rule through them than to invade and occupy it's a better story from our perspective that you know there are these innocent people who don't want fascists in their country and they just came in and put their soldiers on the corners and that's true in some places and not true in others and it's of of course it's an individual question of for you know each each person has to you know come to their own conclusions about this but um yeah so so but but i think one of the things that's worth asking is sort of why do we think austria should be part of do we Well, it sounded like you started off saying it seems weird that it's not, right? I mean, we talked one time and you were like, I don't understand. It's just confusing. Why can't they just put them together? Everybody's German there.
0: I mean, it's not like it's not should like a um, like a, a normative thing, but just like, you know, a lot of other countries in Europe do work that way. So why don't these two? Right, like right. it's just, it's just a question like okay some something something must have happened differently there from in other places and the answer is yes things did happen differently They and I don't think it's necessarily like a, nor- a normative issue
1: they happen differently or or another way to think about it is they happen not so differently but at a different time
0: sure mm-hmm. okay right um,
1: I mean Western West, Western Europe appears um, before okay. yeah, before yeah, yeah. the hmm. advent of sort of like major um, immigration. Um Western Europe appears more culturally or ethnically or linguistically homogeneous than central and eastern Europe but mm-hmm. that's not natural that ha- that happens for reasons um because it is seen as desirable and so political and military things happen to achieve that um in a right. different way than it happens in the in the in the east
0: Yeah 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 and and um I I, I can't believe it just it just occurred to me now that, that the person we need to talk about, I think if we're talking about like why things are different in the East versus the West, and that's, that's uh, our old pal Charlemagne. <laughs> sure. So, so, right, so maybe, I don't know, you probably know this better than Charles I do, the but Hammer, right? No, Charles the Hammer was his grandfather. Oh, shit, okay. But Charlemagne, you know, he... So wait,
1: Charlemagne is what? Charles the Great? I'm trying He's to do just the... Charlemagne.
0: Why do you need to give him a different name?
1: Because doesn't Charles mean something and Maine mean something?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think char. I think it'd be like Charles Magnus. I think. Okay. Yeah, so I think it would be okay. Char- good. Charles All right. The Great, good. I, th- I think. Um, but right, so he, so he, he was like the king of the Franks, yep. and he conquered a, a big chunk of modern France and a big chunk of modern Germany. And when he died, he gave the western half to one son and the eastern half to another son. The west and the the, the, the sort of the western half became France, and that line always gave the whole kingdom to the oldest son whereas the Eastern half had the tradition of splitting the kingdom among the sons. Mm -hmm. So, so the Eastern, the German half ended up split up into all these tiny little principalities, whereas the Western half ended up more centralized.
1: Right. And you have different problems. Primogeniture brings you different problems than, than others. Right. So one of the reasons that France has so many successive, different state forms and so many different republics has something to do with the idea of um when kingship only ever goes to the first son if that first son is a, is bad at being king <laughs> it's not the only reason you get the french revolution but it's one reason yeah. um and then sometimes you want to bring back other kings because they're not so bad at being king and so like but but it, but it causes things to look differently to, to look different from one place to another
0: yeah right right yeah, I remember. This is totally not anything I know anything about, but I remember reading something a while ago that one of the one of the reasons that the quote unquote Arab world uh, ended up having such different development from Europe is that they didn't practice uh, primogeniture, mm. and that, that estates tended to be divided among children, and that prevented uh, capital formation. It prevented someone people mm-hmm. or, or capital accumulation, which prevented any sort of like investment in long term. Uh, endeavors. Well, uh, that or, only or happens...
1: I think what's interesting, I mean, and again, way out of my wheelhouse, so here's... Totally, here's, not,
0: uh, not remotely in my wheelhouse, just something <laughs> I, something I read somewhere one time.
1: But, but one thing that, you know, that, that only is true if you start thinking about um, capital as being synonymous with land, because if you have, uh, if your wealth okay. is in, say, a flock of animals, and you have, I don't know, say you have, like, nine... Goats of varying the the right different sexes, right, and the, okay. and you have three sons, and you give each of your right three divided nine divided by three, right? You give them each th- an equal number of goats that they don't have to have. Those goats don't stay three goats for the rest of their lives. They reproduce, and so actually you ha- you can you can grow your flock so that that by the prime of your life, you have the same number or more goats than your father had when he died, right? So you actually expand yeah. your wealth. But if, if land, land doesn't, you know, the more you slice and dice land, the smaller pieces you get. And that's not true with other kinds of wealth, particularly wealth that's, that's um, contained in animals. So, and yeah, I'm not we'll say it's
0: less, less true. I mean, if you if Let, he gave right. all nine goats to one son, that's, at the end of his life, that son would still have more goats than any- of the sons if the But it's more feasible
1: to, to do an, an equal division. No that when, makes sense. before like uh, I'm not gonna say before the agricultural revolution, because really that that's way, way back in the back then. But when there's more diverse kinds of ways. And obviously you need land to graze your your mm. your goats on, but but maybe there's different laws about grazing lands and all these kinds of things. And so these things change as people get more and more attached to um to land not just for farming but also for other purposes like having lots of serfs and vassals that you can um, rely on to fight wars with you um, and grow food for you and um, now we're back to all that kind of stuff.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Does that answer your question?
0: Yeah I mean it seems like the like, the basic answer is you know why isn't Austria part of Germany is why should it be and besides yeah. a bunch of different stuff happened
1: <laughs> well that's kind of the answer to all historical questions
0: a bunch of stuff happened
1: also why should it be i mean yep. one of the one of the
0: is that a thing is- that, is that a thing that historians say a lot
1: I don't know that it's a thing that historians say a lot but it's a thing I find myself saying a lot Mm -hmm. I think it's one of the best ways to start why do I have this assumption why do I think like if you're interested in something you're curious about it you think well that doesn't seem right that seems sort of weird or odd why would it go that way one of the first things to ask yourself is well why do I think that why would I think that it should be like X when it's Y why wouldn't it be Y and the more you study very often the more you study something the more inevitable and I hate that word and I don't Mm -hmm. use it very much and I get mad at my students when they use it Um, but the more sort of let's say over determined, it seems, that something, not all the time, there are many things where you feel like, okay, no, there's a lot of contingency here. It could have gone any number of ways, sort of infinite possibilities. But oftentimes you start to think, okay, yeah, it went this way because, because, because it almost had to go this way.
0: Right. There were really powerful forces pushing in that direction.
1: And the better you know your subject, and this is maybe where you start to, to have blinders on, but the better you know your subject, especially if you're looking at, say, particular historical actors so so specific human beings the better you know them the more that you're like yeah of course they were going to do that they were always going to do that they wouldn't huh. why would why would they do anything else um and and i think it's um louis Manon who says this that the, the when you're writing a biography the more obvious it becomes that 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 the person you're writing about does what she does when she does it oh interesting yeah isn't that interesting and yet at the same time i want to stress you know nothing is inevitable things are very contingent it's,
0: yeah huh yeah hmm
1: so right sure so why should it that. be yeah, Really? right hmm? i'm so curious why why are you not sure
0: oh just just that that quotation about about the you know the more time you spend like of course things happen that way I, I, you know I, I would worry that that's that's not i would worry that that's not reflecting any sort of understanding but just over familiarity
1: i think in some ways it is but in other ways um I think if you write biographies, which I've never done, so I don't know, but like familiarity is exactly, is understanding at some level. If, maybe. If what you're trying to do huh. is write a life of a person. Um, but no, yeah, I mean, then there, and, then, and this I is the work. I guess it depends work, on the
0: kind of book you're writing.
1: It's the work of historians to make the, well, it's the work of any, any I guess, intellectual or artist to make the strange familiar and the familiar strange. So um, hmm. sometimes things seem really obvious and other times they seem totally bonkers. Right. Yeah.
0: Um... Well, Sophie, that seems like a pretty good place to stop.
1: Yeah, I think that we uh, held ourselves very nicely to time.
0: Uh, yeah, no, we we did a great job, um, and we um, we accomplished our goal of mentioning World War One in both segments. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this really is a great war double feature.
1: It really is. We're true to our word.
0: Hmm. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. So you should listen to the show, which I guess if you're hearing this, you already did. So thanks. <laughs> um, you should tell your friends about us if you like it. Uh, rate and review us on iTunes. That's the best way to help other people find the show. You can follow me on Twitter at Amos Worth. You can follow the show at TMWIW Podcast. You can check out the show notes at our website, TMWIW.net slash S1E3. And uh, that's probably it, Sophie. Do you have anything else you'd like to throw in there?
1: Thanks for listening. It's always fun for us. I hope it's fun mm-hmm. for you guys too.
0: Mm-hmm. I I guarantee you, it is fun for them.
1: <laughs> if it's not fun, let us know.
0: No, if it's if it's fun, let us know. If it's if not it's, fun, we don't want to hear about it. Yeah, shut your shut your damn mouth.
1: We've had enough being told uh, why we're wrong for one day.
0: Yeah. Oh, also, can't you
1: say we're stru- struggling?
0: if you, if you go to the website tmwiw.net that's that's t is in the letter t m is in the letter m <laughs> w is in the letter w i w dot net there's a there's a contact form so you can send us email if you have uh if you've got feedback um so we'll see you again in a couple weeks uh sorry this episode was a little late but holidays and whatnot um so yeah so we'll, we'll have another one out for you in uh, probably two weeks or so
1: yeah, and happy Halloween, everyone!
0: Yeah, happy <laughs> happy um, Arbor Day. <laughs> okay, bye.
1: Bye.